Hello, everyone. I love that I get you after lunch so you're all in a food coma. So just take a nap. Don't worry. The information will be here for you when you wake up. Um, so let's just dive into it. So obviously, we've been talking about sex. I, I had this vision that salt and pepper. Let's just talk. You guys know that song? Yeah. I had a vision that that would be playing in the background. If you don't know that song, you're too young. Google it. Okay? So... Um, why are we talking so much about sexual intimacy? Guess what? You guys come to these seminars. We've had them. We had one a year ago. All about different aspects of your intimacy, right? We talk about emotional, mental, spiritual intimacy a lot. We talk about it a lot because that's so important. There is an aspect of intimacy, sexual intimacy. We don't talk enough about it. And that's why today, like the people who decided to have this, which God bless them, it's amazing, then we just thought we need to talk about it more. Another aspect, too, is cultural. We, I'm going to assume the majority of people in here are Egyptian Coptic people, right? So we are from a culture that, that this topic is not talked about, right? In fact, when Makar was talking about shame earlier, part of it is cultural, there's some cultural shame about it. Just not being, it's not being talked about, it's not being addressed, it's being like quieted. We don't talk about that aspect. So what's interesting is that the media focuses a lot on experiential and physical intimacy. So when you're bombarded on the media by hearing about physical intimacy and experiential, like the experiential is like going and doing things together and whatever, all of that is beautiful, part of marriage. But when you're focusing primarily on this topic, then all of our information that we're getting, all of our younger kids, like all the information they're getting is from the media. So that's why we wanted to give you some different perspectives about it because it's a little different than what the media has to tell us about it, right? So I think what we need to think about is all the lies that we are told, not just by society, not just by media, by our families, by our friends, by our culture. But I also think what's interesting is that the devil is at the heart of all of these lies. So in John 8, we're told he is the father of lies. So we're going to go through it from this idea of like, we're going to go through 10 lies and we're going to talk about how we struggle in our sexual intimacy because of these lies, okay? Peter and I, my husband, we, we talk about writing a book called The Grand Lie because once we became parents, we realized there's a lot of lies about being a parent. And if you're a parent in this room, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? So here's the first lie, that sex is a shameful and dirty act. Makar already beautifully addressed this idea of it being shameful, right? But we want to think about when were you first introduced to sex? Can any of you think about that? Probably not, or you probably just kind of have a vague idea. One thing I can almost guarantee you, you were not introduced to sex by your parents or by a priest or by a servant. You were probably introduced to it by media, something you saw on TV, something you heard at school. Maybe you took sex ed in your school. Lots of different ways, but not by the right people not by the people that have the best interest in your mind, uh, in, you know, for your life. Look at how our world and our media and what we take in has changed. I Love Lucy was a show that I used to watch when I was a kid. Now, 
that old. I'm a little bit old, but not that old. But to see the progression of what's on TV from I Love Lucy to something called Temptation Island, if you've never heard of it, do not watch this show. It is straight trash. It's trash TV. But it's about this idea of like sexual immorality. They're putting that on TV for people to watch on TV. And this is one of a thousand shows that is about pure sex, not about anything else. It's Temptation Island, that's what it's called. You get it, you know what I'm talking about. So obviously, this is not from our spiritual and our biblical understanding of sex and of intimacy. This is not what God wants for us. And yet, we are bombarded by it. If you try to tell me that you're not influenced by media, I'd like to meet you, come, we're gonna go sit on the side, because I'd like to understand you. Because if you're a human being and you live in 2022, you're influenced by the media, whether you know it or not. I'm not on any social media. If people know me, know, literally not on one single social media site. Somehow, social media finds its way into my life. How? It's interesting. So the Bible speaks about the difference between sex before marriage and sex after marriage. When Makar was talking about how it, God designed it, God designed us to have sex. There's a difference between immoral acts and justified and sanctified acts that are celebrated and that we should celebrate together. God designed sex. Let me repeat that. God designed sex. For those of you that still have some shame or some thoughts about sex being dirty, that is not because you are seeing it through the eyes of God. If you saw it through the eyes of God, you wouldn't see it as a dirty or shameful act. We even, he even talks about it when he sanctifies it through marriage, and he says that the two shall become one flesh. This word, I, I heard a talk once, this word was specifically used in the Bible. He didn't say, he could have stopped the sentence at, and the two shall become one. Some translations of the Bible stop it at one. But from our understanding, you, the two shall become one flesh. You get it, right? So... Here's what's interesting about our culture and our, you know, in our religion, that we grow up being told no, no, no. Red light, when it comes to sexual uh, intimacy, it's a red light until you're married, right? You go from red light, red light, red light, then on February 9th, 2014, you're told green light, go. What? <laughs> We went from zero, and now you want me to go to 100 in one day? Because I walked down the aisle in a beautiful white dress, and Abuna told me I'm married now, all of a sudden I get a green light on this act? It's scary. It's scary, and takes some work and some time to understand. Like Makar said, six to nine, did you say 19 months? Or six to 18 months to figure out that rhythm and that flow. There's this psychologist that talks about sex being a dance. Right? It's this beautiful, if you've ever seen a person doing like a waltz, what a beautiful dance. That takes coordination. It takes understanding each other's movements. It takes a lot to get good at this dance. Same with sex. So for those of you that were like on your wedding day thinking like, oh, I'm a little bit scared. I went from red light to now green light. You were not alone. Many of us felt that way. Many of us felt like, how can I be asked to do the waltz when I was not even taught how to do steps one, two, and three of a normal dance? 
it's a lot. So then you begin to think that maybe it's a dirty act. Maybe it's an act I shouldn't learn how to do. That's the lie. Get it? See how I did that there? Second lie. The only reason to have sex is to procreate. How many of you have heard this lie? I know I did. I went to a Catholic high school. I thought sex was only, like, people that had children, they had sex two times. I literally thought that. Literally. Can you imagine, like, when you think a certain way of that sex was only made so that you can procreate? What about people that struggle with fertility? Are they not supposed to have sex? God designed humans to have sex in your marital relationship. Did not design it only to procreate. He designed you to have sex, and he designed it to be able to be fruitful and multiply through it. The Song of Solomon uses poetry, when Makar touched on that, uses poetry to convey this beautiful message of sex. You know, I, when I was reading something, too, they were saying that in the Jewish community, they don't allow uh, boys to read Song of Solomon until they're 14 because it's such a seductive, beautiful, you know, um, book in the Bible. It's in the Bible. It's what God wanted us to know and understand about sexuality through the context of marriage. When people think that you're only supposed to have sex to have babies, why would God make it a pleasurable act if it was meant only to have children? The clitoris, which we'll get to again later, its only purpose is for sexual arousal. That's it. There is no secondary medical purpose for the clitoris in women. So God designed us that way. This beautiful book that if any of those books you go look at, God's Sex and Your Marriage is a beautiful book by Dr. Julie Slattery. She talks about the pillars of marriage. You know what I love? In, even in the pillars of marriage, intimate knowing is there, but it's not like intimacy. It's not just about sexual intimacy. But her pillars are faithfulness, intimate knowing, sacrificial love, and passionate celebration. You guys, these are, these are what we need in our marriage. You need to believe the faithfulness that we have towards God. We have to have that towards our spouse. When there's any fear of trust issues or whatever in a marriage, it will come out in your sex life. It will come out in your emotional life as well. These pillars are beautiful. I won't go into it because I don't have 20 hours to talk to you, but read the book. It's a good book. But yes, one of them is intimate faithfulness, intimate knowing, sacrificial love. What are we, when Makar was talking about that, like Christ loved his church, what did Christ do to show us his love? He died on the cross. He sacrificed his life. God sacrificed his son so that we could live. That was how he showed his love. Of course, I'm not saying go die for your spouse, but sacrifice. Sacrifice your time. Sacrifice your energy level sometimes. Sacrifice something for your spouse because sacrificial love is such a beautiful pillar in marriage. Obviously, passionate celebration is what God intended. Look at the Bible. How many celebrations are in the Bible? A million. And they're all celebrations with joy and excitement. We need to have that in our marriages. So don't, don't think about the lie of not having that. So lie number three. We should be having sex a certain number of times a day, 
a week for our marriage to be good and so that my spouse will not cheat on me. How many of you have heard this lie? I know you've heard it because they put it out on the media constantly. Like, I was watching something where these women were talking and they were like, oh, you got to have sex with your husband more often so that he won't cheat on you. And I thought, man, so now we're being told you have to have sex a certain number of times so that you won't be cheated on? What a nightmare. What a terrible lie that the enemy uses against us. There is no formula of how often you should be having sex with your partner. There's no formula. Never, ever should you think, oh, let me compare myself. That person has it five times a week or, you know, six times a month, whatever. But, you know, here's my number. The number is insignificant. Let it go. There's no certain number that you should be having. It, this is a decision between you and your spouse. You figure it out. Some people have it more often. Some people have it less often. We're talking about having better sexual intimacy. We're not talking about having more frequent sexual intimacy. Infidelity happens for a variety of reasons. And almost none of them are simply because you weren't having sex enough at home. There are different sex drives. We, we all have different sex drives. It doesn't matter what gender you are. You have si different sex drives to each other. So not every guy has the same drive as the next. Not every woman has the same drive as the next. But here's the problem. You come together in a marriage, you most likely will have different sex drives, period. That's not a problem. That's something to be worked on. That's something to be discussed, something to figure out. Sex is not just a physical act. It is not something that if you do this a number of times, like, you know, if you ever try an exercise program, they tell you, like, exercise a minimum of, like, three times a week or whatever. They're giving you a formula. If you do this, you'll get this result. It's not how it is with sex. I can't tell you, if you want your marriage to improve, have sex two times a week. I can't. I wish I could because it would be easier. We'd all write it down and we'd figure it out. There's no formula. There's no amount because it is not just a physical act. So we come to love languages. When people talk to me about their sex lives, it's so interesting. Every couple I work with, that they come in and it could be an issue with their sex life. 100 out of 100 times, we spend all of therapy, talking about their relationship, their emotional connection, their how they fight, what they do, all of that. Sex is so secondary. This, men should open up your ears a little bit. Women <laughs> require a bit more of the emotional intimacy to get to the physical intimacy. Did every man in the room hear me say that? I'll say it again. Women <laughs> require more of the emotional intimacy to get to the physical intimacy. Love languages are key for all of you in this room. Love languages are key. Find out. If you've ever heard a talk from me or, or Makar, you have heard us talk about the five love languages. If you have not read the book, Gary Chapman wrote it. He's amazing. Go read the book. Those five love languages are key to your marriage. I honestly think it was a life changer for me. Life changer. Not just my marriage, how I figured out my love to my parents, how I figured out my love to my friends. It's when you know your love language, you understand yourself so much better and you understand your partner so much better. If your wife's love language is acts of service and you want to have more sex, come home and wash the dishes. Come home and feed your children. Do something because you have to understand the more 
she feels loved, the more he feels loved, the more you guys can come together and show each other love through physical acts. Let me also just say, sexual intimacy does not only require sex. Sometimes, I was just telling the group, sometimes people have illnesses, like a medical illness, and you cannot, for some reason or another, have sex during that time period. It doesn't mean you can't have sexual intimacy. It just means you can't have sex. You can still have physical intimacy. You can still have other types of intimacy. So that's just something to think about. But love languages, children makes it hard, right? Having little kids makes it hard when you're talking about frequency. Maybe in the beginning of your marriages, maybe you had sex three times a week. Maybe some of you seven times a week. God bless you. Good job. But, but maybe you had it way more often, and then you had kids, and for some reason things fell to the wayside. I hear that all, I cannot tell you how many times I hear it. It's almost humorous when a couple comes to me and they're like, we're struggling with our, what's going on in your life? Oh, we had a baby a few months ago. Boom, there's your answer. So that does not mean, because you had children, that does not mean you no longer get to have sex. That's not what that means. That means you have to do a bit more planning. You have to do a bit more figuring things out. Don't let it unravel, you guys. Don't let this be like a snowball effect. We don't have sex for a few months because we just had a baby, a woman's body is changing, it's kind of a disaster for a while, and then, you know, then there's the mood shifts, and then the kid is crying, and whatever. It's going to snowball. You'll find yourself, the kid is now graduating from college, and you're like, uh-oh, we haven't had sex in 18 years. Guess what? True story. That happened to someone. Like, I work with lots of couples, so I hear lots of stories, and some of them are really devastating. To think that a couple hasn't had sex for 18 years, that's a long time. That's a very long time. A few months, not that long. You'll get over it. 18 years, long time. Do not let it be a snowball effect. Think about planning. We'll, we'll get there. But Another lie. Women hear this all the time. The pleasure of sex is only for men to enjoy. You know what? This is not only a message that media tells us, if you read the Bible, which I hope you all do, lots of women in the Bible that are not great, you know, Jezebel, things like that, use their sexuality as a sin, right? If they're using it, they're using it to cause sin or to cause people to stumble. So women are often thought of as like not good, like this is like a bad, you know, for women or whatever. So you're always taught like the pleasure of sex is meant for men. But here is something I want to remind you of. The clitoris is only in a woman. The clitoris, whatever the way you say it, but it is only in women. Men do not have this organ. And that is only made for sexual pleasure. So if you're a woman sitting there thinking, only men get to enjoy sex. Why would God design you with an organ that was only made for you to reach sexual plateau? Why would he have done that? if he didn't want you to enjoy it. He wants you to enjoy it with your husband. Women are portrayed as sex symbols in the media, and it makes godly women feel a sense of shame about their sexuality. A lot of Christian couples that I work with, the woman says, I'm ashamed to wear lingerie. I think it's dirty. It's like not, it's like for the bad girls. This is a message they were given somewhere along the way. I feel ashamed to tell my husband that I enjoy aspects of sex. 
I worked with a couple, they're Christian, they grew up in a, a Protestant Christian home. Beautiful, beautiful couple. They, would, they were struggling with their sexuality, their sexual intercourse because she had so many things that she loved that he was doing, but she could not verbalize it. She could not say it to him. So they would have sex and he would ask her like, are you good? She's always like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Finally, when she told him like, I really like it when you do this, he said to her, well, who taught you that? Where'd you learn that? Did somebody else do that to you? He started to shame her for wanting more of what he was already doing. So it just shut her down. She stopped communicating about it. She stopped telling him because she started to feel like, I must be dirty or sinful or wrong if I enjoy certain things and I'm telling him. This is wrong. We cannot be ashamed of our sexuality. Cannot be ashamed of it. There are treatable medical conditions that get in the way of sexual pleasure. It is true. Not everybody enjoys sex, but guess what? Sometimes there are actual medical problems. We're going to get into that in the next couple of slides, but that can get in that way. So you have to get treatment for that. No problem. Treatable. And some studies suggest that men have a higher sex drive because of testosterone. It's not 100% proven. It's just some studies suggest it. We were just talking about this in our discussion group with women. We think that men have such a higher sex drive than women because women are kind of not allowed to say that they enjoy sex. Because again, it comes back to what are we bombarded with? If I enjoy sex, that means I'm a stripper or I'm a bad girl or I'm, a, you know, I'm, something is wrong with me. This is a lie. It is a lie. If you are a woman married, it's okay for you to enjoy sex. It was made for you to enjoy it. There's only one proper way to have sex. A lot of us Christians have been taught that or we've heard that or, you know, the media makes fun of it, right? Like we've all heard of the missionary position and it's like, oh, only Christians can do the missionary position. That's it. Can't do anything else. Don't even think about turning. No, no, no. Get back into your position, right? It's wrong. Sexual intimacy looks different for every married couple, and it all depends on your desire, your communication, your connection, your interest, your body mechanics. Some people need a certain type of sex different for everyone, right? So figure that out. How we connect the idea of sex impacts our desire. If you connect to it in a shameful way, like Makar was saying, when you, you think of it as dirty, you fall into the lies then you're connecting to it in a different way that is going to create a lower desire for you. Because a reminder, sex is meant to be pleasurable. That is not something I'm making up, you guys. That is, a, like God said it. I don't, I don't think he didn't say sex should be, but you get it. God meant it to be that way. This is another lie we're told. If I maintain my virginity before marriage, God will reward me with an amazing sex life after marriage. That's a lie. It's a lie. You should maintain your virginity and your purity. That's what God wants us and that's what we should do. That doesn't mean the second you go to green light, it's going to be amazing. It takes work. You understand because you're married. You understand marriage takes work. But somehow our brains don't connect. Marriage and our physical intimacy take work. Because this area, this physical intimacy, we don't touch it with a 10-foot pole. 
That's the private side. I keep spitting, I'm sorry. That's the private side. That's the side that we don't talk to anybody about. That's behind closed doors. That's the shameful, dirty side of our marriage. It's none of those things. Not that it should be talked about with the whole world, but it should be worked on. This is something to work on with your spouse. It is not something to pretend. Like, I have a Coptic couple that I work with, and they pretend, like, they, they think to themselves, we don't really have sex. It's just something, you know, we do when the lights are off, but we never, they've never talked about it. They never use the word sex with each other until they sat in my office. And then I said, look at each other and tell each other, we have sex. We have good sex. Once you say that, you get to work through it. You get to actually open up a door. That's why Makar had all of us say those words, because sometimes we think that they're dirty or ugly words, none of which is true. It's the grand lie that he wants us. That don't let the enemy do that to us. By the way, side comment, not only are we as Christians in a battleground every single day, we as Christian married couples, we are exactly what the enemy wants to break apart. If he can get one of us, he won. If he can get one of our marriages to break, if he can get one of us to cause problems in our Christian godly marriages, then he won. He doesn't want us to be in our godly marriages. He doesn't want us to be raising our kids in the church and with God. He doesn't want that. So he's going to fight, and he's going to fight you harder than he's going to fight the next guy. So pay attention to that. It, is, it isn't given that a God-centered marriage will, will have great sex. It's not given, right? So it's also not given that because you're God-centered, you're going to have a perfect marriage. I wish it were true, guys, but it's not. And that's okay because it takes work. God wants us to maintain our sexual purity before marriage and after marriage. We're going to get into, like, what that means. But God wants us to maintain our sexual purity both before and after God wants our sexual intimacy to be amazing because he wants all aspects of our marriages to be amazing. You're going to hear me just as Makar made us learn the word learn a lot. You're going to hear communication from me because learning and communicating is the key to having a good sex life. You want to know the answer? That's the answer. Learn and communicate. Okay, watching pornography will enhance my sex life. This is another lie. It's a bad lie. It's a big lie. Pay attention. Watching pornography does the opposite of enhancing. It not only creates an unrealistic fantasy, but it uses lies to distract you from what sexual intimacy was really created for. You guys, pornography is not only a fantasy, it is something that it can be addictive. You, when you watch pornography, it releases dopamine and oxytocin, all the same, guess what? Same hormones that are released when you're having sex. Imagine how addicting that is when you can do that with no vulnerability. Watching porn by yourself, even with your spouse, there's no vulnerability there. It's a fantasy. It will not enhance. It will distract. Sometimes people tell me, oh, but Maggie, we're bored. You're bored? <laughs> Of your, of your spouse, you're bored of your sex life, so you think watching porn is going to make you less bored? All it's going to do is, for that four seconds, make you excited. But it is not going to change your sex life with your spouse. It will make it worse. 
I am telling you guys with 100% guarantee, watching pornography will ruin your sex life because it creates a whole fantasy that no one sitting in this room will ever be able to fulfill. We just can't. You know why? Just like Makar said, we are not athletes in the fantasy world. That's not what we do for a living. So you can't do what they're doing. It's not real. None of them have children. They don't, I'm, I've never watched pornography, but they, I'm pretty sure they don't show videos of children running up and opening the door. Mommy and Daddy, what are you guys doing? Like, no, of course not, right? It's in isolation. It's a bubble. So when you have boredom, that is probably a lack of communication. Probably there's been, there could be some sexual trauma. There could be societal influences. I'm going to go with probably there's a lack of communication. What we watch has a direct effect on how we think about love, how we think about sex, and how we think about relationships. You guys, this is really key. I, I know that like, we're all grown-ups and we watch whatever we want to watch. No one's telling you not to watch. But be mindful. Even little things like lots of women watch The Bachelor. Even things like that. Like, not that it's a bad, you know, whatever. But like, it is going to put ideas in your head, okay? Those are not real. It's not reality. No man is planning a date with a helicopter and landing here, and it's like perfection. That's not real. But if you watch that all the time, what are you telling yourself? That's what I want. You may know it's not real, but you may be deceived by the enemy to think that's what you want. I'll tell you what. If Peter planned a date with a helicopter, I'd be like, Bro, what were you thinking? Like, what on earth? It's strange, but they do it on The Bachelor a lot. So it has a direct influence. Watching porn, watching these kinds of shows that give you a deceived viewpoint on relationships and how love works. Be mindful of what you're putting into your minds, what you're um, consuming. Another lie is that pornography is not addictive. Wrong. Because watching porn releases, like I said, dopamine, which leads to compulsive, addictive behaviors. If it was not addictive, we wouldn't have people coming to our office talking about how this is troubling. I had a boy who was like 17 years old. He started watching porn when he was like 13. And he would come and he was talking to me. He started therapy because of anxiety, which everybody comes to therapy because of anxiety. And when you start to unravel, why are you anxious? Part of it was because he was so consumed by wanting to watch porn all day long when he was in class and school that he couldn't concentrate. He was losing concentration. He thought he had ADHD. Like, all these things, his parents thought he had ADHD, all because he was consumed by wanting to go home to watch porn. That's how much it can be addictive where you think about it all day long. In 2014, I thought this was really interesting. A study showed that 22% of search titles on Google contained a sexually explicit item uh, or term. 22%. I don't know how many of you guys, I Google everything, right? I, I Googled just the other day, how does a refrigerator work? Like, I Googled everything, and yet 22% of the Google searches had a sexually explicit term. That's mind-blowing. That's a lot. 
Whether you think of it as an addiction or a compulsion, pornography watching is one of the most common issues between the age for men between the ages of 15 and 40. By the way, this doesn't mean that women don't also watch pornography, but it is more of an issue we see with men. So people want, this is another grand lie, that something is wrong with me if I don't enjoy or desire sex, sexual intimacy with my spouse. This is both for men and women. I know we talk a lot about women not wanting sex or not being interested in sex, or sometimes men don't want it, but they don't own up to it. Maybe they don't say it because it's not socially acceptable for a man to go, eh, I'll take it or leave it. It's not a big deal. But there's lots of men that feel that way, okay? So sometimes we think something is wrong with me if I don't desire it or I don't want it. This is where you want to really understand why your desire is not there. There is a reason that you would not be desiring sexual intimacy with your spouse. There's an actual reason. You want to get at the root of it. There could be many reasons, but we want to get at the root of it. When people ask, like we were just talking about in the discussion group, is, is it a problem if you don't want to have sex? I think it is. I think it is a problem. Not that you should be wanting to have it, again, a certain number of times a day, but if you don't want to have sex at all with your husband or wife, I do think that there's an issue there to explore. Here are some of the treatable sexual dysfunctions we talk about. There's a dis, there's dis, desire, desire disorders. So there's a lack of sexual desire or interest. Sometimes this is from low libido or hormonal issues or there's some trauma. But the, these are the different categories of sexual dysfunction, right? So desire disorders. There's arousal disorders. This is the inability to become physically aroused or excitable during sexual activity. So this could be stress-induced, it could be psychological conditions, could be porn usage. Orgasm disorders, this is the delayed or absence of orgasm. This is an actual disorder. So if there are people who have, they say like 10% of women never have an orgasm in their life. They also say 50% of women struggle with it. So it's something to consider, could I get help for it? Could I get treatment for it? It could be treated, there's medications, both for women and men, and it could be something that you wanna talk through you know, with a professional. But erectile dysfunction, one in 10 men are estimated to have ED at some point in their lifetime. That's a lot of men that struggle with that. Pain disorders, so there's, I'm gonna say this wrong, vaginismus, I'm, I'm sure Dr. Nabil will correct me, but you know, there's, there are disorders, pain disorders, like women may struggle with pain during sex. If this is a problem, don't be ashamed of it. Don't hide from it. Let's figure out if there could be treatment for it. There are medications that are amazing out there for all sorts of issues. We need to use our resources. There are also books, and there are just lots and lots of resources for you to figure out what could be going on with me that I'm, some, I'm struggling with my um, intimacy. So there's, this is just a, if you wanna know more about the disorders, you can always come talk to me. But uh, there's like emotional factors, physical factors that influence all of those issues when it comes to the sexual dysfunctions. L let me tell you something really interesting. So, oh my gosh, I haven't even read my notes. Terrible. Um, Nowadays, there's like this trend in, in Gen Z, in the younger generation. One of them is they're, they're calling themselves asexual. You guys have heard of that term? 
it's so interesting as a psychologist to hear someone say, I'm choosing to be asexual. That's my sexuality. I, I really have a hard time with it because that's a dysfunction. Like, we know it's a dysfunction. We work with people about this. So to consider yourself like, it's okay for me to be asexual. It's okay. I don't want to have sex with men or women. Okay. I think there's a problem. Like, we should explore it. It's fine. You want to call yourself whatever you want. But if there's something going on internally for you where you feel like, no, I just don't want to have sex, Maggie. I'm not interested in it. Let's talk about it. Let's chat about it. Let's communicate. Because there could be a way in which you might end up enjoying sex. You might end up seeing that there was just a treatable condition that needed to be addressed. Here's the, the final, see, I'm almost done, you guys. Here's the final lie. The difference between duty and demand, that your spouse owes you sex. In 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5, we do learn that through marriage, our bodies are our spouses and our spouse's bodies are ours. We were just talking about in group that it, oh, we always focus on how the submission is always like the woman submit to the husband. Have you ever read those verses? Because guess what? The man, the husband, your body is your wife's body as well. It is vice versa. Did you read that? When I read it, I was like, I feel like maybe I read that wrong <laughs> the first time. We are owed each other our bodies. That is our duty. Yes, as husband and wife, you have duties to each other. Do not be offended by duties. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. He has a duty to love you as Christ loved the church. But you have a duty to respect, and I forget the words exactly, but you know, there's a duty for men and there's a duty for women. This duty of owing each other your bodies, do not be offended. It is not a demand. It is a duty. There is a difference between a duty and a demand. You will never have a good sex life if you are being demanded to have sex. You will never. That is not the way it works. You cannot force someone to do something, and then all of a sudden they're going to enjoy it and make you happy, and you're going to be happy. No, sir. That's not how it works. So there's a difference. But it all ties back to communication and your pillars of marriage. If you feel like your spouse is telling you you are owing them sex, you are not communicating. You have to talk about that. You have to work through that and talk about love languages and all of that. So let's get to the, the good stuff. Okay, the solutions. Communication, communication, communication. I want to do exactly what Makar does. Communication, communication. Communication. It's very, very important, right? Obviously, we, we've been talking about seek medical or professional help. Honestly, the medical help, you really want to think through because sometimes we, we forget that there could be hormonal imbalances, there could be a medical condition going on. Our church does not say, do not use medical intervention. Did everyone hear me correctly? The Coptic church does not say, do not use medical intervention. Someone literally asked me when I was preparing for this talk, one of, one of my friends was asking me, Maggie, do you think that the church says that we're not supposed to use, like, medication for erectile dysfunction? And I was like, that's like saying, would Abuna tell us not to take Tylenol if I have a headache? Of course not. That's absurd. 
why would you not be allowed to take medication for a medical condition? So keep that in mind, medical or professional help. It's okay. That's not against, doesn't go against our God, doesn't go against church. The solutions for all those lies, try something new. If something in your sexual intimacy is not working for you, you have to try something new. Starting today, try something new. You cannot beat a dead horse and expect it to wake up. You just can't. You can't keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect to get different results, right? So planning or for a sex schedule. Sometimes people say like, oh, if I schedule it, it's not gonna be as good, it's not gonna be as passionate. That is nonsense. If you schedule it, guess what? You can literally look forward to it all day long. That was something I forgot to say. Sex does not just happen in that 30 minutes act, okay? Sex begins the second you open your eyes. If you are wanting foreplay, you start by flirting with your partner. You start by sending them a quick love text. I don't remember which Tassoni told me this, but that Inabuna would send her every day like a text of like, I love you, you look beautiful, you're hot, whatever it is, like flirting with his wife. That's lovely. Why don't we do that? It doesn't take but four seconds to send like, I love you. Yesterday, Peter's flight got delayed and he was like, I was like, don't worry, God loves you. Like my, you know, my, my plans got moved or whatever, my patient moved, so I, I, it's okay, I can pick up the kids. And he's like, well, at least God loves one of us. And I said, it's okay, honey, I love you. And he wrote back like, He's not even an emoji guy, but he wrote back like a million emojis, like how cute that was. And I was like, see, something that didn't even cross my mind made him happy, okay? Those are little things. Flirt with your spouse. So beginning foreplay, the moment you wake up, flirt with your spouse. I already said it, see? Discover what turns you and your spouse on. Guys, communication. You may be assuming that something turns your partner on. This happens all the time, you guys. We make lots and lots of assumptions. And how dare us to make an assumption? Who are we to assume this is gonna turn him on or this is gonna turn her on without asking? A long time ago, I worked with a couple where the guy used to, in, in foreplay, like he would do like sex talk and he would use language that would trigger the girl, like he, He would call her upper region, like a a more vulgar term than breasts, right? He wouldn't use that word. He'd use like a more vulgar term. And it would turn her off immediately. And the whole time he was doing it, he thought she was getting turned on by it. So when they came and we would start talking about their sex life and dissect it, and finally she said to him, please stop calling this region that term. And literally, that's what did it. Like, it changed. It was all about his assumption that calling her these words that were he thought was, like, going to turn her on was doing the opposite. It was turning her off. So you got to communicate about this stuff and find out what turns each other on. Enjoy sex because it was designed for you to. Get out of your head. There's a book called Get Out of Your Head. I don't highly recommend it, by the way, side comment. But if you are reading, I know many people have read it. It is about anxiety and stress and things like that. But I love the idea of get out of your head. Sometimes we're too much in our head. Okay, guess what, men? Women spend all of our time in our heads. We just do. 
Get over it. We do it, okay? We don't compartmentalize as well as you do. God bless you. You were designed differently than us. We just don't. We think about our kids. We think about our, that girlfriend that annoyed me the other day, and we're still thinking about it. We think about our boss who was annoying. We think about all that stuff all the time. We, just as men, should get out of our heads because when you're in your head, you're not really enjoying sex as much, okay? If we can get out of our heads just for 30 minutes, sometimes 15 minutes, just do it. Get out of your heads just to enjoy sexual intimacy with your partner. Lock your door. Many of you who tell me I can't have kids because I, have, I can't have sex because I have kids, what? There's a contraption called a doorknob with a lock. If you don't have a doorknob with a lock, go to Home Depot, purchase one today, and put it on your door. Lock your doors. Then you feel secure and comfortable to have sex when you want to without your kid coming. Mommy, what are you doing? Don't worry, it's locked. He's not gonna be able to come in. Lock your door. Try having sex at different times of day. If you're too tired at the end of the night to have sex, guess what? You can have sex in the morning. It's okay, you're allowed to, okay? You can have sex at different times of day. You can have sex the second one of you walks in from work, put on Coco Melon for your kids, go upstairs, have sex, <laughs> come back down. Done it, tried it, it works, no problem. Do that. I'm telling you, different times of day is, works for different people. You have to find out what works for you. You have to. This is serious, you guys. This is like a way in which for you to connect to your husbands and wives. Do this, find this way. If you can't do it at night, do it in the morning. Read books on how to enhance your sexual intimacy. We have resources for you. Go read one of those books. They're good. They help you with language. They help you understand more. And guess what? If you both are reading it together, I for my, my poor husband, God bless him, but I always force him to read the same books that I'm going to read, and he's always like, oh, I don't, you know. He wants to read about physics, and I want him to read about psychology. So, you know, if you're reading together, then you can be like, oh, remember what that chapter two was talking about? Blah, blah, blah. We can talk about it. We can communicate. Everyone remember that word? We can communicate, and then we can enhance our sex lives. The last one is everybody together. Wow, you're really tired. Did you, any of you eat cookies? That's good. Cookies. Communicate, guys. Communicate. Communicate. Talk with each other. Talk with each other explicitly about what you want in the bedroom. Explicitly. Don't just expect that they are assuming this or they know how to do this or whatever. Say explicitly what you want, what you desire, what you need from your partner. This is one aspect of your marriage. But we talk all the time about how to enhance your emotional, spiritual. You get it. This part of your, set of your marriage needs to be worked on just as much. That's it, and glory be to God forever. Then I always want to help. So if I can help in any way, here's all my information. I would have given you my mailing address, but I just don't think you need that. Uh, we're just going to open it up to some questions. I'm going to pass it on to Sean. So, um, again, those of you that may have come in late, um, you can use the QR code, but I'll kick it off to Sean. Cool. Thank you. All right.
right, again, there's a lot of good questions, and we're going to save a lot of them for the panel, so we'll just keep the one specific to Maggie's talk here. So um, here's one that came from earlier, but I feel like it's related to your, to your talk. Um, uh, where'd it go? Can masturbation be a part of uh, married life? We're going to ask Abuna about that. Okay, then. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I cannot speak to that, but Abuna, one of the Abunas can. <laughs> okay. I will, say, I will say this. Masturbation is a selfish act. It's being done selfishly to yourself, okay? If that is the only thing that is creating arousal or pleasure, again, that is a problem. A problem to be communicated and worked on with your spouse, okay? I cannot speak to whether or not that is a good thing, bad thing, do it, don't do it, I cannot. But I can say, if that is your only way or if that is something you look forward to more than having sex with your husband or wife, that's a problem. And if that's a problem, a problem can be worked on. Um, <clears throat> you touched on this also, but um, guilt is instilled in us about sex and pleasure from such an early age. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit more how to get over that? Yeah, I know. It's a grand lie. You see what the enemy does? But part of it is also cultural, right? Like when we were saying, when I was saying, you know, when were you introduced to sex? Because you were not introduced to it in the healthiest way. You were not introduced to it by the people that love you the most. So you think about it when you're being taught not to do something. Because again, before we're married, we're being told, do not do this thing. Which we are, we should be told that. That's okay. We should be accepting of the fact that there are things we can and cannot do. We are Christians. We have to live separate, and we have to live apart. But when you're told something is wrong, 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 and then you're being told, now it's okay, there is this sense of guilt. Like, are we allowed to do this? Like, are, you know, people have asked me, like, can we try different positions? I'm like, the, I asked a lot of Abunas when I was preparing for the talk, like, how can I, what can I say, Abuna? Like, tell me the right thing, the wrong thing. Abuna was so wise. He said to me, Maggie, we are not in your bedroom. We Abunas, we priests, we are not in the bedroom. We are not going to tell you something is right or wrong necessarily in the bedroom. Although I did hear the stance that our church takes is against anal sex. That's like a church stance. It's against anal sex because it's wrong. Anyways, Abuna could talk about that. But, but... Other positions, no Abuna, I don't think, is saying that's wrong to try different ways. So this guilt that we have over, like, should we try this? We're not allowed to do this, whatever. Remember, we are Christian. We are not in a religion that dictates every movement that we make. There are different religions that do that. Christianity doesn't necessarily do that. When God created sex, he did not specifically define it as the missionary position period. He did not do that. So this guilt that you might be feeling, again, it might just be at the core of how you were introduced to sex. So it's something, again, to talk about and work through. Um, the Bible says men and women married are designed to have and enjoy sex. Agreed. But are men designed to connect emotionally with their wives? We are different. Oh, that's a good, that's a really good point. Does someone have an answer to that? I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I love it. You're also designed, yes. Um, yes, 
You might have been designed differently, but that doesn't mean you are not a human being. All human beings are designed to connect emotionally with other human beings. You guys get that, right? We have, we are humans. So we, during COVID, one of the worst things was the isolation because we wanted to connect to people. I don't know if you guys were the people that did this. I was that person. I would go to the supermarket five times a day just so I could see other human beings. I cannot be away from people all day long. It's terrible. But yes, men, you might be designed slightly different, but guess what? You, of course, are created to connect emotionally to your wife. Of course. Have you ever seen little boys not tell their mommies how much they love them, not tell their daddies how much they love them? Look at children, and you'll learn why, how adults should be. Both little boys and little girls will run to their parents telling them how much they love them. Men are designed to emotionally connect. You just don't prioritize it as much as women. Again, that's all socialization. That isn't biology. God didn't say, like, oh, men are going to have a gene that's different than women. No. It's just how you are socialized. You're socialized to be more physical and you know, boys are so much more aggressive than girls. We're taught differently. It's all just how you were wired through socialization and media and fill in the blank, culture. All right, final question for the session. What is sex therapy like? <laughs> so it, it all depends on who you go to. So when you take a class in sex therapy, it is mind-blowing, I want to tell you. Like, don't take one unless you're going to be a therapist, but... I mean, it is all about how to talk to a couple about sex, but there are some sex therapists, there are actually people who are Christian sex therapists, so they specialize, they're Christian, they call themselves Christian, and they specialize in sex therapy. You, you think that you're going to go in and you're going to have to read the Kama Sutra or whatever, that's not what sex therapy is. It's figuring out why your sex life isn't working for you. And will somebody suggest a different position? Sure, because... We want to suggest whatever will help the two of you work it out. But I think that if you're going specifically to a sex therapist, that means maybe something in your sex life is really not working for the two of you. Why not try it? And if it doesn't work for you or it's not doesn't feel good, leave. You don't have to stay. It's okay. But, yeah, so it's designed to focus specifically on your sexual intimacy. But they end up talking about lots of... Because all of these areas, it's like spaghetti. It all kind of goes into each other, right? Okay, I think that's it for today. Thank you, Maggie, so much. Thank you. Thank you.